This is Gigs Unleashed, episode 34. So the one thing I hate in Independence Day was the American speech. That ruined of course it so you much. did. It was like, great. I loved oh, it. It was so, it was so <laughs> cheesy. Hello, welcome to Gigs Unleashed, episode 34. I'm Mark. And I'm Jasmine. Each week we cover the news of the week and then we pick a couple of things to review that are quite fancy in TV, comics, movies and games. And this week's reviews are Greenland the movie and our first pilot season review, Dexter season one, episode one. And spoiler warning, this is a review show. So if you have not had a chance to watch Greenland or if you've never seen the pilot of Dexter, you might want to pause this and come back later. And then at the very end of the episode, we'll give you a couple of recommendations of our own. So jumping straight into the news this week. Um, Tomb Raider. Oh, man. <sighs> There's actually quite a bit of Tomb Raider news because uh, in addition to the Netflix announcement, so Netflix has announced that they're doing an animated series of Tomb Raider. And their quote says, it is the most iconic heroine in video games is jumping to animation. Tomb Raider is a new anime series from Legendary that follows Laura Croft after the events of the video game reboot trilogy. And the video game reboot trilogy ended with the version, uh, I can't remember the name of the game right now, but it's the version- Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yes, thank Shadow you, of Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Um, anyway, those are fantastic games. If you've never played them, you should 100% play them. They're so I played fun. the first two and I've started the third one um, probably about a month ago, but I haven't carried on with it. But They're I'm about... so fun. I, I've, I've enjoyed them. I think the second game is probably my favorite. Have you played uh, them all? Yes, I played all three. Oh, okay. Oh, well, I'm slightly, I'm slightly, I'm behind you. I'm behind you. Yeah. <laughs> but also, they announced this week that uh, for the film reboots, the the films that have been starring Alicia Vikander, um, Misha Green is going to be taking over as the director for the next Tomb Raider film that stars Alicia Vikander, which Misha Green has done uh, most recently. Lovecraft Country. She was one of the executive producers and the writers from uh, Lovecraft Country. So if she's going to be involved, I'm super excited about seeing what she brings to the Tomb Raider franchise because I thought that she was really great with Lovecraft Country. Um, but also, like, it's going to be pretty badass to finally see, like, a woman helming a video game franchise about a woman. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that as well. So Tomb Raider, lots of stuff to look out for. There was some talk as well of Tomb Raider um, about the next game, like, but there's no real, they, they, there's no real news. But it seems that they're talking about it again. But mm. yeah, I don't, I don't really know what that means. But they, I, I don't know what I would like to see. It's um, Ubisoft though, so like I figure there, there's probably going to be another game, right? Or is it Square oh. Enix? I can't remember. I think it's Ubisoft. No, no, Square. Uh, is it Square oh, I can't Enix? remember. I can't. I'm I'm confused now, actually. But yeah, I I because obviously the trilogy was essentially a remake of her origin. Mm -hmm. Um, I say that a remake of her origin. We never really had a had a true origin film. Like I mean, sorry, game. The original game Tomb Raider was she was already Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Right, right, right. You you got a little from what I can remember on the PlayStation One. You had a little uh, snapshot of her the parents or something dying in a plane yeah. crash um but that was about it that was her origin uh -huh. um so these games showed you kind of what happened before so yeah i i don't know i would like to see i'd be interested to see what the new games cover i um 
I mean, I'm I'm down. I think uh, Tomb Raider is definitely well the reboots, I should say, not the like older versions of the games, but the newer games. They've been so much fun to play that I would I would play another version in a heartbeat. Like it, it wouldn't even be a question if another Tomb Raider game came out that was part of this sort of trilogy, or not trilogy anymore. But like if it was part of the new version of uh, Tomb Raider games, I would definitely play it. The thing I was thinking was, you know, when they do the um, the animated um, version of um, Tomb Raider on Netflix, mm-hmm. uh, it would be cool if it was voiced by the same actress. Yeah, um, that would be really great. She's great as Lara Croft. Alicia Vikander was kind of stiff in the first Tomb Raider, but like, <laughs> I really enjoyed like I enjoyed playing that first game. So watching the film, the film stayed pretty true to the video game oh i thought they did a really good job with the movie yeah. it was yeah. it was like, a, honestly it was one of the better video game adaptations for sure oh yeah the, the, i think we mentioned this before about video game adaptions like i've never like i think need for speed the movie i've never played mm-hmm. the games but it was a really good movie um but the tomb raider movie with alicia Vikander was so good oh, i really enjoyed that um i can't think of many other real good video game I don't know adaptions. why you keep forgetting this but mortal kombat Oh, I've never seen 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 the films. Um, maybe one day. Uh, anyway, um, the trailer. Well, many trailers dropped this week, um, but the trailer for Godzilla versus Kong dropped, which looks flipping amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so good. So it's directed by Adam Wingard and written by Eric Pearson and Max Borenstein. Uh, the film was star. A variety of people, uh, Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown is back, Rebecca Hall, and Brian Thierry Henry. The film will be out in theatres, I guess, in places that they have theatres that are open, that aren't <laughs> in, in, uh, in lockdown. Um, I have no idea in the UK if we will be out of lockdown by then, who knows. Um, however, in America, it will be on HBO Max on March 26th. I would love to see what's going to happen over here. I'd like to be able to watch it in line with the rest of the world, but we will see. So. Honestly, I'm super excited about this movie. I have enjoyed pretty much all of the the lead-up films to this film. So, And the fact that they're bringing Millie Bobby Brown back, so it's like a direct connection to uh, Godzilla King of Monsters, I'm super, yeah. super excited. Oh, no, that's the thing with all the three films. There was no... From from what I remember, there's not one cast member that's in any right film. because like there was rumors, there were rumors when they were doing the new Godzilla movie that the character that Charles Dance played was supposed to have been Tom Hiddleston's character from Kong Skull Island, because mm. Kong Skull Island takes place in like the 1970s because they're still do it they're, they're in the midst of like the Vietnam War, uh, so from 1970 to present day, they. There was a rumor that, I mean, that is not confirmed in Godzilla King of Monsters, but like, there, yeah, there is no real true connection between the two films, but like, I'm, I'm excited that now we finally have like the for real, for real, like, oh, it's happening, it's happening, we're getting like a battle of the big guys, you know, like, I feel like King Kong and Godzilla are iconic monsters in, in movie history, you know? I've been really looking forward to this movie. Like, and it's obviously it's a podcast, so we can't really 
go through the <laughs> go through the trailer, but the trailer looks so good just seeing the yeah. two of them fighting. But what I loved was um in some of the scenes in the trailer, them talking about the past of these monsters and mm-hmm. like um that there've been some war and these been the final people and and they've always built Godzilla and Kong up as as sort of the good monsters. Yeah. So to see the two good monsters going up against each other, it, it seems to me there's a history between these two monsters. Right. Uh, and the director is, has said that there is going to be a definitive winner. So it's not going to be like, oh, well, I think so-and-so won, but I think such-and-such won. Uh, so we're we're looking to see. There's going to be one person standing atop the rubble at the end of the film. So yeah, who, I'm, who I'm, do you have in this battle? Who would you pick? If you had to pick between Kong and Godzilla, who do you pick? It's, to it's win? difficult, you know, like, I think it depends on where it's fought. If it's uh-huh. land, like maybe Godzilla would have the advantage. Oh, sorry, sorry, Kong would have the advantage. But if they end up in the ocean, Godzilla can go underwater. Kong can't. Like, I mean, he can't breathe underwater. Right. Um, but also, Godzilla, uh, Kong has fire. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, Godzilla has fire. Um, yeah. oh, I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> My I'm, money's feel- on Godzilla. Like, if, if I had to pick, like... I, I've been a fan of Godzilla for a very long time. Uh, I even love the movie with Matthew Broderick. And, oh, uh, I love that movie as well. Oh, man. Oh. So good. It's so good. Oh. But it's one of the best, like, film soundtracks in the world. Um, oh, yeah. The soundtrack is so good as well. So, like Puff like, Daddy. And, yeah, exactly. Jamiroquai did a great track on that. You've got Fuel. There's Fuzzbubble. Oh, my God. There's so many people on the soundtrack that I love so much. Um, but like, if I had to put money on it, I'm I'm putting my money on Godzilla. I don't know that it's gonna go that way, but uh, I feel I've, like I've always I had feel a soft like, spot in my heart for Godzilla. I feel like Godzilla has definitely got the most amount of advantages. Mm-hmm. Like, if they end up in the war, I can't see how Kong can win. Uh, and also, when he's on land, he's got fire. But I'm assuming he hasn't got the ability to just have unlimited fire. Right. Um, <sighs> but Godzilla has like reach and opposable thumbs and, i mean not, i'm gonna godzilla kong has reach and opposable thumbs and so godzilla who, who, doesn't, who, so. who you got who you back in then who you i'm back in godzilla i don't know that that's gonna be the winner but that's my that's i'm putting my money on godzilla. okay i'll tell you what then i'll i will i'll back kong i'll, I'll back <laughs> i'll back kong then. okay <laughs> so we'll, um, we will revisit this in march after the film has been released or april rather after the film has been released yeah. and we'll, so, we'll see so just to clarify, the film's in theatres and HBO Max in America on March 26th. Yeah. Um, we'll let you know as and when <laughs> for more other for more dates and availability as and when we get near to the release date and see who on earth is going to release it. So mm-hmm. more monster sort of news. Uh, Cloverfield. Um, a new Cloverfield sequel is going to be um, coming out from Paramount Pictures and Bad Robot Pro- Productions with... Joe Barton penning the script. There's not really much more news on this. However, what I would want to clarify, um, so just talk about the last three films. So the original Cloverfield came out in 2008, directed by Matt Reeves, followed by 10 Cloverfield Lane, directed by Dan Trachenberg in 2016, and was followed by 2018's The Cloverfield Paradox by Julius Owner. And the big difference is between this sequel that they're talking about is actually this is a true direct sequel where 10 Cloverfield Lane and Cloverfield Paradox were movies in development that were turned into sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is actually a film that's going to be geared up to being a sequel. They have also said, though, there will be no found footage like the original one 
thankfully. I gotta um, say that was so hard to watch in that first film. Like I, I hate found footage films. Oh my like, god! Really... There were so many points in that film where I was like, I my eyeballs are hurting just watching all of this shaky cam footage. I'd love it if they could remake that movie like without the found footage. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's been to it so long now that people would have aged. But I hate found footage so much. Like I mean, I think the only other big film that I can remember was um Blair Witch mm-hmm. and um I never wa- I never watched that. I don't know like found footage. Like, <laughs> um but no, I did watch the original Cloverfield, the found footage and yeah like you I hated it. But of the best of all three films, the best one is Ten Cloverfield Lane I in have my got opinion. To watch it. It's the only one I have not seen. Oh, so good. Like it, do you know what I think I found frustrating about Cloverfield Lane and Paradox was they just both end like with you wanting more mm-hmm. like, and yeah Cloverfield I would say out of the, all three 10 Cloverfield Lane I was on the edge of my seat the entire movie it was and I just didn't Is know that good, it, huh? honestly it was one of these films where I just didn't know where I, like, I was just like what is going well I, I kind of didn't really know like what would happen next kind mm-hmm. of thing like and and you were really questioning people's motivations and yeah it was just so good like it, yeah it's really creepy like it's definitely <laughs> well it's definitely worth watching i like, need to again. watch it i do it's it's on my list i need to watch it but like i honestly i feel like i'm one of the few people that actually enjoy the cloverfield paradox but i think i'm kind of biased because i really love gugu mbathara uh who was uh, the lead in that film, yeah, yeah, didn't they? I remember they dropped the Paradox movie straight after the Super Bowl one year, like literally just dropped yeah. it, yeah. So on Netflix, it was like, okay, so you finish the Super Bowl, go to Cloverfield Paradox on yeah. Netflix. No, I know so. that I did not do, I watched it a few days after the Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't watch the Super Bowl, but like, um, obviously, um, I, I wouldn't expect you to since you're not American, so <laughs> <laughs> one day I'll watch one, like. <laughs> Be good to be involved in the conversation. So, yeah. um, it's a big deal yes. in my household. Like, uh, uh, it's always a thing that uh, parents kind of invite the neighbors over, and it's it's a big kind of thing. We've been hosting Super Bowl parties for twenty years, as far as I can remember. Uh, I don't know that we're having a party this year <laughs> because of COVID, but uh, I know for sure I'm still going to be watching the game. So. Zoom party, Zoom yeah. party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll jump into our uh, movies. Yes. John, Alan, Greenland. So, um, which let me start by saying I tweeted this a few days ago, but like I do not recommend watching disaster films in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, were... but this is a this is a different kind of disaster. No, it's, though, a, it's a different kind of disaster film. But at the same time, I was just kind of like, uh, this is unduly stressing me out. <laughs> I love disaster films. Like normally, I do, but like. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a anyway. big fan of like Deep Impact, 2012. Armageddon. Armageddon. I did love Armageddon. I love Independence Day. Oh, Independence Indep- Day. 
Um, well, I mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this when we did our Christmas YouTube. I don't, can't remember where, where it came up, but I said the one thing I hated, and like I know you probably shoot me for this, but the one thing I hated Independence Day was the American speech that ruined it so much. Of course you did. It was like, great. I loved well, it. <laughs> it was so. It was so cheesy. It's just like uh, it's gotta be. Uh, Come on, we're fighting the aliens, and it's all uh, about America. And oh, and the else. other and the other bit I hated when they showed some real pompous British going to the Americans, oh, it's about time you came up with a plan. It's like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> uh, yes, that's right. We just sat around waiting for you guys yes, to save course. us. Like, that's and, how uh, Hollywood works. You guys uh, wait for us to do everything according to Hollywood. Yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> like, um, so, um, so anyway, other than that, it was a brilliant movie. And um, by the way, when I say this, I'm not like anti-American, by the way. I love America, but just I hate cheese. So, <laughs> like, so um, but do you know what, actually? And we'll talk about this in the, in the review. One of the things I really hate about um, disaster movies is they kind of end the moment the disaster is over. Yeah. And I want to see what happens next. Right, but that's like, that's what the sequel is for. Well, yeah, but no, but there's not other than Independence Day two. I the, none of them that I'm aware of have ever had um, sequels. Uh, sequels. Now I know when 2012 happened, they were talking about a TV series. I think they were going to call it 2013, but it never got off the ground. Um, so, uh, yeah. So with Greenland again, when it ends, I just like. Oh, I want to know what's going to happen now. Like, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's fairly obvious they've got to rebuild society and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. But like, I think that's yeah. where like stuff like the hundred comes in, or Love and Monsters even kind of. Yeah, love, yeah, yeah, Love and Monsters, love and Monsters yeah. did a really good job of skirting completely over the disaster itself and focusing on the rebuild after the disaster has happened. Yeah, actually, yeah, you're right. That was good. That was a good follow up. Um, I'm trying to think of that other disaster movie where oh. Uh, where the ice age all of a sudden came in mm -hmm. um uh, well you know what i really liked about this film um is it didn't it's not one of those disaster movies that's like we have the capability to stop this from happening it was like no no this is happening and oh yeah here yeah, is yeah. what our plan is for after the event is over that's it that's it i just remembered it the day after tomorrow oh my god i uh, love that movie so much <laughs> Day After Tomorrow, yeah, I love that movie. And that's actually yeah. a bit like this film, because there was nothing really they could do about it. Yeah, the day after tomorrow, there's nothing you can do to stop it. There was nothing you could do to, to stop an ice age mm -hmm. coming. So, yeah, so Greenland and, and, and um, The Day After Tomorrow are very similar in terms of, like you just said, they just rock up and say, right, mm -hmm. here, here's a disaster, guys, save your lives. So, yeah, exactly. anyway, anyway, so movie written by Chris uh, Sparling and directed by Rick Roman Wah, and it stars a lot of people, but... It, it really only stars two people, which is Jared Butler and Marina Bakrina. Bakreen? I don't know. Is that Bakrin? Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's it. Uh, there's a lot of people that pop up here and there. Some sort of faces get some five-minute scenes and stuff. Yeah, there's recognizable um, people, but uh, yeah. they're, they're the stalwarts for sure. But honestly, with I, I, I don't think I've ever seen from memory a bad Jared Butler movie. Um, I well, think. okay, let me start by saying I have to send my sincerest apologies to Jared Butler because before the events of January 6th in the U.S. where people stormed the Capitol, um, I always thought, like, come on, stuff like Olympus Has Fallen is a bit extreme. 
except it totally happened and i'm like okay so maybe gerard butler is like at the forefront of actual documentary political films versus like fantasy fiction political films so Uh, my apologies for talking shit about like olympus has fallen (laughs) i loved olympus has fallen i didn't really so much like the (laughs) i didn't really so much like the um Oh shit! The other one, White House the, uh... Down. No, nah, I didn't really like that one. Oh yeah, that's the one with Channing Tatum and uh, Jamie Fox. White House Down. Yeah, what's it, what is the sequel called? London Has Fallen is the sequel yeah. to Olympus Has Fallen, and then Angel Has Fallen is the third in the trilogy. I've not seen. I've not seen the third one. Yeah, I haven't uh, either. Uh, I want to. I will watch it because I do like those kind of films. Like, um, but yeah, but with Marina. Um, I, I haven't seen everything she's in. I've seen Gotham. Okay, but did you ever um, watch that Deadpool. series where she did a V? It was, oh, v? Where she I've was seen like an alien. Yeah. Oh yeah, man, yeah, yeah. she With was short hair. so good in that series. Um, she in Homeland. She was in the first. I want to say three seasons of Homeland. I really like Marina Background. Uh, she was in. Oh, she was in Stargate. She was um in the final. Uh, she wasn't in many. She was in um, uh, five episodes of Stargate SG One, and then she was in the TV movie The Ark mm-hmm. of Truth. And she sort of played the, uh, I think, uh, she played like the daughter or something. She was like to do with the Ori, which was like a big villain. Um, but yeah, she. Oh, and obviously, the first thing I ever saw her in was Firefly, uh, and then Serenity. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I literally I don't think I've ever seen her do anything particularly bad either. So, so I had two really good lead stars in this movie, and I was a bit confused at the beginning. Yeah, because the movie starts with them, like you, I think you you made a comment about this um, in the notes about um, the character build up and their interactions. So I was very confused when Jared Butler shows up, uh, boy's character shows up, and. Mm-hmm. And they obviously him and Marina's character are not getting on, and there's a, there's some sort of friction. I wasn't really clear on really what was going on, and I think <clears throat> the I don't first know, thirty minutes of this film are complete, completely forgettable. Like, yeah, it's like I I understand that you guys are trying to build a connection between the audience and the main characters, but this is not working at all. Like, I don't know what's going on. There's tension that I can't. I can't figure out exactly what the tension is. And honestly, like neither of these people have been on screen enough for me to care about the tension between the two of them at the moment. I think, I think though, because they're such good actors, like I sort of was happy to get over that, that um, I probably would have. So when the tension and the unnecessary conflict was brought in, in the place, I straight away thought, this is typical disaster movie type Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, Mm -hmm there's a friction there's a difficult relationship disaster will bring them back together again like and i thought and i thought (laughs) by the end of the movie these two are going to be you know holding hands and kissing and everything else and bring a relationship back together uh, than the end of the world yeah yeah so then when like they're obviously having a barbecue and and everyone's you know chilling out and and all that kind of stuff Uh, and then then the news comes about um the disaster but Jared Butler gets a call um, whilst he's out and Marina misses it and he doesn't get back in time. Uh, sorry, he gets back. Sorry, he doesn't get, 
he gets back and she's already missed she's missed her announcement because she was in the shower or something um but the government had decided to call in like 800,000 people uh is that it? 800,000 people um that they can save and um you wrote a note down as well which i thought was quite funny about the most unrealistic thing about this movie is how organized the government was and, and i, I thought, wouldn't have said yeah. that four years ago like four well, years yeah. ago i would have been like oh this is great yeah like we could totally pull this together but after the shit show of the past four years that we've had after 2016 there's no freaking way that the united states government could pull together this kind of response in 24 hours i don't think any i don't I, I don't think any government would be this organized like um I can imagine most of them would be running around panicking. It would be more like a scene from the Armageddon movie where they're just like, you know, throwing random crap together in a room. Like, I can yeah. imagine that's probably how it went rather than, yeah, exactly, than suddenly messaging random people. Um, and I can't imagine it'd be random people around the country. They would probably just get people near the bunkers. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I don't know. So, so obviously that begins with the adventure of them having to head off and all their friends who are around for the barbecue just shoot back to their, to their house and, uh, think they're going to get phone calls but obviously it doesn't go that way and they leave their town and some of their neighbors are begging them to take their kids and stuff like that and you know, jerry butler's character does what everyone's got to do look after their family and it sort of seems to be going quite well initially and i even thought to myself so they get to the bunker and uh they sort of you know their car's in a queue and they get out and they go to sort of the processing center and they pass the they actually do get past the crowd and they get they you know they get in and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i thought to myself seems to be this going quite too well easy like yeah, yeah i was like so this is this is before yeah. they get to the bunker. So basically, the way that the film kind of lays oh yeah out yeah they is, get onto the plane. Sorry. Yeah. Plane, so yeah. basically, the government sent out specific messages to specific people to say, "Hey, you have been selected. Please come to XX location at this time on this day, and we will take you to safety." So Jared Butler gets that message because he's a structural engineer. Is mm, my guess. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 He builds buildings basically. Builds skyscrapers. Well, they, so, yeah, they cover that later on as well, don't they? Yeah, yeah. who better to rebuild the world after it freaking falls apart than structural engineers? So him and his family have been selected. He gets a message on his cell phone. There's a message that goes to the TV. So they finally make their way there. They get through the gates only to realize that their son, who is a type 2 diabetic, which type 2 means that you don't produce your own insulin. You have to have some kind of help, whether it's through a pump or through insulin shots throughout the day. Anyway, their son has insulin. He has to take it. Somehow, someway, it falls out of the bag when he reaches into the bag to grab a blanket. And it is in the car after they have already cleared security and all of this stuff. So now Gerard Butler is like, you guys stay here. I'm going to go back to the car that they've abandoned. I'm going to go back to the car. I'm going to find the medicine. I'll come right back. So that's. Well, and then, and then that begins right. just uh, the next. You never split uh, up. Come on. In disaster movies and in horror movies, you never split up. It's never a good idea to separate people. The moment, the moment he said. The moment he said I'm going back to the car, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. Here we go. I was Here like, go. okay, I was like, it was going so well. Like, yeah. I mean, he could have just said to her, like, you stand here. Like, if, if he was going back to the car, there should have been a little bit of a plan. Like, do not get on the plane. Well, I guess, 
I mean, I guess he was worried about his child, so he was like, get on the plane. Or he could have said, look, if the looks like the plane's going, then get on it. But mm-hmm. otherwise, just stand aside, like, and wait for me until it real, real last minute, blah, blah, blah. But obviously, it all goes wrong. They, they, so she tells one of the security guys about the incident, and then they say, well, no, nobody with health conditions is allowed on the plane. And, right. um, and then begin, and then Jared Butler's character does get through security, ends up on a plane, but then somebody on the plane mentions about, yeah, they see the insulin in his hand, yeah. and they're like, "How did you get on this plane?" And he's like, "What do you mean?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, they turned my sister away because her son has is uh, has an issue." And he's like, "Oh crap!" But he gets off, and they get separated. So they have to make they somehow eventually do speak to each other on the phone, which is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And they agree they do agree a meetup point, which is that well, but fathers. she left a post-it note. Which first of all. Who has post-it notes in their vehicle? I don't. That's for sure. Um, she left a post-it note on the car to say when they got turned away and rejected, she said, hey, we're going to my dad's in Lexington, Kentucky. That's a post-it note she leaves. And she assumes that Gerard Butler is going to come back and, and see the note. And then they'll all meet up at her father's house. And uh, Well, they do speak later on the phone as well, yeah. like um, about Much that. Later. But um so she, uh, Marina, and her son get a lift from what starts off as a nice couple. Oh, God. this! I don't even have kids, and this entire sequence stressed me out. Uh, that so probably, much. I would actually say this part was the most stressful part about the whole film. Like this, oh, my God. Like, so stressful. I was so stressed watching this during the film. So initially, I thought the two people were quite nice. I like, didn't. The, I like, think my thought was there's no way you cast Hope Davis in a film and she has like no major role like there's no way that she's just like bystander number three you know what i mean like yeah yeah well, so as yeah. soon as i recognized hope davis i was like oh shit they're they're up to something and it's probably nothing good i wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure there was nothing like i thought they were going to be in it for the next 20 to 30 minutes which they i think they probably were they but, probably were yeah but but I didn't think it was going to go down the the, the, the seedy dark route that it went. Oh, no, it had to. Um, it, and... not, now, my thing was, like, as soon as they got out, so, so the whole thing was Marina Bacharin and her son meet up. Well, they, they run into Hope Davies in this pharmacy that has been looted or whatever. So, oh, yeah, Mar- yeah. yeah, Marina's in the pharmacy because she obviously she needs insulin for her son because now Gerard Butler has the insulin and she doesn't. Um, so they go and they find the insulin. They run into Hope. They meet up in the parking lot. And Marina is like, where are you guys going? And she's like, okay, if you're going north, can I please get a ride? I'm just trying to get to Lexington. And they're like, yeah, sure, fine. So my first issue with this entire couple, Hope Davis and her husband, was, first of all, what kind of husband sends his wife into a pharmacy to loot goods in the middle of a crisis? Like, you're the dude. You should be the one inside the pharmacy looting, and your wife should be the getaway driver, not the other way around. So the first time I saw this couple, I was like, I don't trust them simply because the husband is a piece of shit, and he made his wife go in there and deal with rooters or rioters and looters instead of him doing it. Yeah, yeah. I guess probably looking back, that's yeah. I hadn't even considered that to be honest about the early warning signs, but then I, I, I'm not really too sure. 
there was something oh she got off the phone oh that was it got off the phone she got off the phone to Jared Butler and uh-huh. said about meeting up at the dad's and was really relieved and then suddenly this look comes across this da- this bloke's face yep. mm-hmm. and I was like okay this is now not going to go well nope, like, not at all. And, because uh, as soon as as soon as he noticed that they had bracelets so the way that the bracelets work was if you had been selected by the government when you get to these checkpoints, which is where Gerard Butler and Marina Pacheran and their kid had gotten to, they give you a, a, a wristband. Like you go to a concert or whatever and they give you a wristband so that you can come and go. So they had a wristband. The wristband has a QR code on it. That's how they can get in and out and that's how they can get scanned to know that they have been approved through the government to get onto any of these flights to safety. So because there's the the guy, this the stranger guy who is hope davy's husband notices that both marina bacher and her kid have a bracelet now he's like scheming and he's like you know what i'm i'm gonna make this work in my favor and he well he pulls over the car and pulls marina out of the car which is just yeah. horrible like i mean and initially the wife like hope davy's characters was quite defensive of marina and the son and she did lock the door uh-huh. uh but then obviously she's like well actually this is my husband and she's, yeah I, oh, I don't man, think that, it was so hard to watch because you like, knew, you just knew that they were going to take this kid from this mother so Wait. she they yeah they rip uh. the band off of her and then mm-hmm. they drive off with the kid and obviously marina's running after and screaming and stuff like that and uh she eventually gets a lift to this site so talk about jerry butler's journey in a minute but so she catches up to this um to the next sort of wave of planes that they could get on mm-hmm. and i hope davis's character and and this guy whatever his name is like you know they say to the son look you've got to tell them that we're your parents if you don't you know if you don't do that you'll th- never th- see your mom see. again but they but if they had got that plane probably never would have seen the mum again right and um so which i actually thought was really brave when they did get to the checkpoint they were the guard was going to let them all through um but the kid did, did actually say these aren't my parents they yes. stole them from me and they were like yeah. no, no no he's delusional he's, he's tired he's upset whatever but of course but they, because they got rejected from the first sight because the kid has a medical condition yeah. when they scan the bracelets the bracelets came back as rejected yeah and well they, and the guard actually i thought was quite nice he did take yes, the kids straight off them yeah, yeah and i we never so we never see those other characters again um but marina does get to this site through catching a lift with um some other people and she gets to this site and does um ask where sort of some potential people that may have been rejected right. would be and mm-hmm. um but it would be like so they go to this play they go to the thing across the road with all the tents and stuff yeah. um and at this point you've got to think why are all these tents there because always the point if this meteorite's coming down in like the next two hours like <laughs> you know but anyway so this guy says yeah, yeah i'll take you around take you around and like mm-hmm. it, it's like the last tent it takes it to like 12 15 tents it yeah. felt like it was like no 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 no. and she does get with her son and i was like so relieved was just, oh yeah for sure yeah, but like, it was so that entire sequence of her losing her son and then being reunited with her son was so stressful. Oh, it was no, the yeah. most stressful 30 minutes of this entire film. So Jared Butler's journey to catch up with his wife was was interesting, but equally stressful. Um, he gets he gets on the back of a van uh, with a bunch of strangers in. Uh, he's sitting next to quite a nice guy, actually, and that's how you find out about his history, that he's... Um, that he, obviously builds buildings and um, a structural engineer um however 
this wristband. They really should all have taken their wristbands off and yes, put them in they their pockets. They like, like, and um, so some some hillbillies or whatever mm-hmm. like see him it's with Kentucky. the wristband. Yes, of course they're hillbillies. <laughs> and um, like, but they see him with the wristband, and then they all end up outside the van. They end up having a fight, and unfortunately, as I mean, there probably was. There actually wasn't there wasn't that much of this shown like for the panic that probably was yeah jerry butler's character ends up accidentally killing this guy because yeah. he ends up with hammer and and obviously they look it's brutal and, and then other people back away from him because they're obviously thinking well actually if he's killing people i don't yeah. want any of that um there wasn't there wasn't that much of that sort of shown which was actually quite nice because you would have thought there'd be a lot more of that in the oh, street I'm, I'm sure there was a lot more of it but like oh, it wasn't the it focus wasn't of shown, the film yeah. yeah 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 and um so eventually, it really pissed me off because like the guy that he was sitting next to in the truck was this nice like younger black kid he he seemed like he could have been gay because like he he kind of said oh i haven't spoken to my mom in x amount of years but my mom got selected by the government, so she has a bracelet like you do to go to Greenland to do, you know, because she's a doctor. And Gerard Butler's like, well, why aren't you with her? And he's like, well, you know, we haven't spoken in a really long time. And it was one of those things where it was like, please don't make this kid, like, your martyr. And sure enough, like, when Gerard Butler starts fighting with the hillbillies, this uh, young black kid is a casualty. And that really pissed me off because it was like, this kid is the one that gave you the information that said, hey, I know a guy who's going to just across the Canadian border to this such and such town. They've got random pilots, not military pilots, but just like random pilots that are taking people to Greenland because they've been tracking U.S. military flights for X amount of days. So they know that the bunkers are in Greenland. And Gerard Butler's like, well, how do you know that? It's classified information, which it is classified information. The government has not told anyone where the bunkers are. Um, but it just it just really upset me that you bring this guy in, he's a nice guy, and then you kill him off. Like this totally could have been one of those interactions where like this guy survives the fight, and then when they finally get to Green like they finally get to Canada, he could have been one of the people on the plane and it's like a real Yeah, I was hoping moment, I, yeah. You know? when when he, when he did say about the planes, yeah, my immediate thought was, oh, okay, we're gonna see him later on in the film. Yeah. Like, there's like, no there, reason for him to die in that fight. No I did, reason I did. at all. I didn't assume that they were going to let him buddy up. What I thought was going to happen that he'd go meet up with his wife, get his mm. son, uh, and then and then when he gets to the, the airfield, like he would be the guy to say no, 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 let him on or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, exactly. Like, That's so, what I thought too. Yeah. So so eventually they they meet up at the dad's ranch, and you know there's a, there's a few awkward moments. The dad sort of has a go at the at, at Jared Butler, right? Of, because you finally found out why there's tension between Jared Butler and Mucker, uh, uh, Bucker, and so. He cheated in their marriage, and that's why they're as awkward as they are. But you know, obviously, end of end of the world kind of makes things forgivable. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. they're back on track to kind of get their marriage together. Um, so they they get to this airfield, and he deliberately sort of kamikazes his car towards the plane because mm-hmm. he, he's trying to force the plane to stop. The guy gets out, goes mental, and he's like, look, I'm not going anywhere unless you let us on. And the guy's like, how much do you weigh? And, and he's like, okay, look, I'll let you on, but you can't bring any luggage at all. Um, yeah. And that plane journey is kind of when I feel like the actions of the film starts to take place because it was, although it was 
I would say it was more drama uh, up until that point. And then the plane is where I feel like the kind of action type, the real sort of action-y CGI parts start happening, I feel, mm-hmm. because the plane is obviously in the air heading towards Greenland. Uh, and then one of the sort of smaller meteorites lands and there's a massive wave. And, and I thought it was quite a cool sequence where the engines mm-hmm. go out and the plane is trying to stay stay up in the air as much because as this possible. is like a, a Cessna it is a tiny tiny airplane it is nothing like a oh, commercial yeah, like airliner a, whatsoever I bet there's like 10 so, people on it or something like that yeah like, I mean there are 20 people including the pilots at max like there yeah. couldn't have been more than that many people on this plane it's one of those planes that it looks like it takes people skydiving yeah, um, yeah it's one of those yeah. yeah yeah so it doesn't look like the type of plane that would even make uh, an Atlantic journey in the first place so the fact that this plane made it from canada to greenland was impressive in my book so when it la- eventually lands lands slash crashes um it doesn't crash massively it's badly. A crash landing but like yeah everyone well, except the pilots survive i say massively bad yeah two people die the pilot and the co-pilot because mm. uh, unfortunately when it lands the only thing that ends up stopping it is them climbing into a mountain yeah and obviously ice comes down because it's greenland and there's ice there, and <laughs> it, it comes straight through the window jerry butler's character is quite nice he said oh, i'm gonna get the pilot out and he sees that they're dead and yeah horrible um but the only but, thing that saves them is that they see a, a giant cessna like landing or a giant um like a, B- a b-52 or something like that landing and so they're like okay we got to go that direction because that's a military plane and that obviously is where the base is yeah yeah so so they, they they do get in to this base and what i love is the sequence of them going in through the doors and as they're running down the stairs you see somebody on like a, a video thing and it says there's like one minute and so many seconds towards mm-hmm. the wave hitting. So the meteorite hits, but and as, as it hits the earth, obviously the, the tidal wave. It hit wave somewhere and... in like Southern Europe. So if this meteor had hit now, like Mark would be completely gone. Yeah. It hits right between like, it, it, basically it hits in the English channel. So if this podcast cuts out right now, like, <laughs> uh, on my end. Yeah. Um, well, don't so... worry. Obviously I'm not going to be that far behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so like, um, I did love the sequence though, like where you could see on the video the tidal wave like mm-hmm. moving, and they were like, "We've got one minute and twelve seconds to close the door." Um, so then you go in, and like they've got loads of bunk beds in a massive warehouse, uh, or like bunker sort of warehouse, and and then they, and then then it cuts to what was it two years later or something, and then nine they open months. the oh, was nine, it nine months, months later, mm-hmm. and um, and then they open the doors and they all step out, and that, but it's and, the and then, first time that they've opened the doors since the event. So they haven't opened those doors in nine months. So you don't see any of the nine months, not even like, I don't know, five five minutes of scenes or anything nope. like that. And then they open these doors and then you're just sitting there. They're all standing there looking out. like and they, they're Carnage. Sort of, the planes are, are like burned to a crisp. There's nothing in the, in the landscape. Everything is just barren and desolate. But so so they they're looking out and obviously their eyes are sore and stuff and I and I thought to myself do you know what I'm waiting for it I'm waiting for it they're just gonna show some birds I know they are like, <laughs> and, like, and so like these birds start chirping everyone's like yeah and like you know cheer, cheer, cheers or whatever and then the tiles come up and I was like oh. ah. Yeah. Yeah, and this exactly. comes back to my point I said at the beginning of this review I really hate it with disaster movies don't even give you a little bit 
of a teaser of what life's going to be like. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, the whole world's been destroyed. They've got a lot of work on their hands now. Like, I mean, I guess it's just going to be a case of they need to pick where they're going to live. Because, I mean, I'm assuming most, they're mostly American in there, so they probably went back to America. But, you know, you'd obviously just pick one part of America to live in. So probably a coastal town would be better. But How are they going to yeah. get there, though? All their planes have been destroyed. They're probably going to have to rebuild where they are. So they're going to rebuild in Greenland. Yeah, that's true, yeah. But anyway, uh, so in summary, I felt this movie was actually quite cheap. Um, I know it sounds bad to say that because I actually Googled out of curiosity when it was filmed because I thought, I wonder if they filmed this last year during lockdown. Like, um, my own, no, 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 they didn't. They filmed it during the summer of 2019, uh, yeah. mainly, mainly in Georgia. And But my initial thoughts were, I bet this was filmed last year. And my only thing to that was there was quite a few scenes of crowded people. Mm -hmm. So I was a bit like, maybe not. Um, However, I did feel this was like one of these sort of straight to DVD release type films. Yeah, definitely. I can't imagine this having been released in theaters. So I I did look up and there was limited theater release. And it was a film that did keep getting pushed back. Um, So... Yeah, I, I, to be honest, it's probably a good thing it just got released mainly digitally um, and sort of pay, pay per views and Amazon and stuff like that. So yeah. I, overall, like, honestly, this is a really bleak film. Like, the, it again, we, we said this at the very beginning, but like, it's the kind of film where they know at the beginning that they cannot stop this disaster from happening. So their goal is not to stop it. Their goal is like, preservation of life um but but the idea of preservation of life above all else is really kind of crappy in the middle of a pandemic like when i was watching by the time it was over i was like this film does not make me hopeful like uh, you know i'm not necessarily worried about a comet hitting earth um but at the same time like there, there's nothing really like uplifting about this film. Do you know, do you know, like, um, I guess the difference between things like Deep Impact and Armageddon was Deep Impact and Armageddon showed you the, well, Deep Impact actually was very good in terms of it did show like a 360, it gave you the president and it, it gave you the people on the street, mm-hmm. but Armageddon was mainly design, mainly the people like at the top and and yeah. the astronaut and the astronauts that saved the that were doing the work, yeah. yeah. However, this film was completely different. It was just the people on the street. Yep. It was, you know, it was all people on the street. There was no presidential. Nope. You know, there was literally nobody in power was seen. Nope. So we, I guess we don't know if this was real. You know, maybe they, maybe they did send rockets up. You know, maybe, maybe they tried. But maybe this is us just seeing the plan B. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, if they did try, they obviously didn't didn't win um yeah so and and was this extremely last minute did they just spot it like literally six hours before it hit the earth um, now that i i cannot believe that i i cannot believe that that would be the case so well so i i, I did re-watch deep impact this week and i started armageddon because i was just a bit curious and so in armageddon they make some, um, a comment about um, they get X amount of budget per year mm-hmm. to view the sky, um, which gives them enough money to view 3% of the sky. Now that film's like 20 years old and, and that probably was a true comment around then. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the budget is like and the technology is like now, but I still can't imagine they can see 100% of the sky. No, um, they can't. So... But there are people who do watch the sky that don't work for governments. Yeah. 
So I, I don't believe... And that's, well, that's what happened in Armageddon. That's what happened in Armageddon, yeah. that it was yeah. a random person found the asteroid. So um, I don't believe that anything could sneak up on us like this. I think it's a matter of who knew and how long did they know and, and when did they tell the people that can actually start making decisions. Yeah, I guess because we only saw the the viewpoint of the sh of the people on the street, mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a question the film never answered and and probably right. never will. There's not going to there won't be any sequels to this. But that's so. what kind of sets it apart from all the other disaster films, right? Like we said at the beginning, uh, it's not one of those where you know it's happening, and so now everybody's scrambling to figure out how to stop it from happening. It's more like this is happening. You have to figure out how to survive it. Period. Yeah. Yeah, so just bring the review to an, an end. Um, we rated this three out of five. We, yep. it, it, it was okay. Like it's you know. middle of the road. It's it's not yeah. all dire. There's a lot of cities that survived. Um, some of the ones that I remember hearing, Helsinki, Beirut, Moscow, Fairbanks, Karnak. Um, there was a couple of other places in India, uh, but a lot of people survived. So it's not like Greenland was the only hub for humans in this. Thingy. so who knows there could be a sequel there could be a follow-up there could be something going on but uh it's it's not the end all be all birds survived and lots of people survived so mm -hmm. but yeah middle of the road i think is pretty fair for a film like this so our first pilot season review so just to clarify we're going to do these pilot season reviews on the last um podcast of each month and we'll pick something we'll be picking a pilot of more so a show that's been i would say like an essential show or you know a highly rated show and 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 myself and jasmine we've never watched we've not watched every show out there and i watched dexter from start to finish and actually you i didn't realize this until we were just planning this you you watched um you actually only came in at season three, so it was, this was new yeah. to you, a new experience to you, and this was me re-watching it. Yeah. Um, so when we do these pilot shows, it may not be that we've both watched them, and some of them we may. I suppose I should be upset, even feel violated, but I'm not. No. In fact, I think this is a friendly message, kind of like, hey, want to play? And yes, I want to play. I really, really do. Dexter is based off of a series of novels by Jeff Lindsay and um, this particular uh, season was based off Darkly Dreaming Dexter. Um, this episode was directed by Michael Cuesta, maybe? Cuesta? Okay. Uh, written by James Manish Jr. Uh, stars loads of people. Uh, Michael C. Hall is Dexter. Judy Benz is Rita. Um, Jennifer Carpenter um yeah, Deb, yeah. Uh, and then loads of other people uh in this show there's actually quite a lot of characters introduced mm -hmm. in the first episode and actually that's probably something i would say they actually did really well in terms of introducing the characters i really like i really like the voiceover that dexter does throughout this throughout the show yeah um, normally voiceovers are kind of just like you're cheating like this is lazy writing and you're cheating by adding a narrator but because of the nature of uh, Dexter himself being a serial killer that works for the Miami Metro Police Department, mm. um, having that voiceover is kind of essential to the series. And the way that they use it, they use it to great effect in the pilot, and it kind of sets a tone for the rest of the series. 
So I think um, I think because he can't. I know throughout the whole show he does find the odd person to confide in. Yeah. But he doesn't have anybody to really confide in for any length of time. No. Um, even even so, I mean, we could actually probably start with talking about the flashbacks. So, throughout the first episode, there's flashbacks and that's actually his first real confidence. So in the flashbacks, you see two different Dexters, uh, a much younger sort of eight, eight or nine year old Dexter and a sort of 14, 15 year old Dexter. And he's adopted Dexter, uh, which will, if you were to carry on season one, be quite valid, uh, be quite relevant to the entire season. Um, so Dexter's adopted and his sister De Deb was um, the biological daughter of his adopted parents. Both of his parents are dead. And as he references in his voiceover that he didn't kill them. Um, so <laughs> Just he, so we're clear. Yeah, he's going to say, like, oh, I didn't kill them honest or something like that. Yeah. Um, but in the, so in his flashbacks, his his adopted father recognizes that there's something not right with Dexter, yeah. um, and he he sort of really initially tries to steer him from not doing it, and then as he gets older, he finds like the yeah, knives with blood abstinence on. Abstinence is not like the way to go. Yeah. So, and he did say, and he he does even say, do do you remember what happened like with with him? you know with yourself before we found you and he doesn't however that that will come out later on um having watched the whole show i do know that we do find out about what happened to dexter and what, what the dad says to him is um <laughs> he says to him about honing honing his skills mm -hmm. um obviously I've written because it, so. his adoptive father is a cop a detective yeah. So this is um, basically he said there's something that we can do to channel your your sort of desire to kill. So Dexter has this he sort of kills animals and he has this desire to kill. And he does ask him if he's ever ever killed a human or had the desire to. And you know, he he hasn't he says he hasn't killed a human, but he does have the desire to. Mm -hmm. So he said it's something we can channel and something we can use for good. And he does say the police can't catch them all. Yeah. So that that kind of sets up this you know honor code which actually dexter mentions right at the very beginning of the episode mm -hmm. so the father recognizes the yes yeah. he's the a father who's he's played be by james remar is he's great he is ah. such a great character and even though he is dead he plays a major major role in the entire eight seasons of dexter um but yeah honestly like he's the type of great parent that recognizes like he knows this kid is fucked up he knows it he understands it and he's like, okay, so I tried to tell you that not doing it at all is the way to go. That didn't work. So here, here's a new plan for you because I love you like a son. Um, I don't want to see you wind up dead or in prison. So channel that bad energy into bad people. Leave the good yeah. people alone and, and focus on bad people who do bad things. So that in a way helps those sort of flashbacks help with what mm -hmm. the sort so dexter has a episodic style but also an ongoing style of show yeah. like so they have the ongoing bit which we'll come to but the opposite episodic is kind of his kill of the week so we we, we have two kills in this episode now not every episode has a kill or has two kills some of them have one kill and you know so you in the first in the opening moments you literally in the first two or three minutes he 
tracks he, he gets in the back of someone's car and mm -hmm. takes them somewhere uh, and then gets them to confess and he, he shows them the bodies and stuff like that and then he, he kills them kills them and that's it and then what i love is the setup that he has um to show you his sort of regime um or routine to to get the you know what he does to get this to get the killers mm -hmm. so he's a blood spatter expert for the miami police which i'm assuming his father probably had a big input in i can't remember to be honest but i would imagine that was the case which helps him for two degrees one later on to keep ahead of the police because mm -hmm. there will be trouble later on for a serial killer oh, um, yes. <laughs> um and also it gives him the ability to get a hold of cases that maybe other people haven't connected. Right. So, cold cases. so he, yeah, well, cold cases, but also there are some people that are murderers of serial nature that maybe the police haven't picked up on. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how that guy in the opening scene, he put that together, but he didn't bother to tell the police. So he went after himself. So yeah. like, like they said, not everybody the police can catch. And because of his sort of dark, twisted nature, he's able to put these things together. He would obviously make an amazing detective, but he, he chooses but to... But he's kind of a serial killer, so... Yeah, so <laughs> I think he, he obviously will help to catch killers where he can, yeah. but he equally has this desire to kill people. So yeah. his... I guess his priorities are slightly blurred. <laughs> yes, uh, and I think that they do a good job of sort of setting that up. Like it's it's cheating because we've all uh, me and Mark have seen all the way to the end of season eight, uh, which is when the first part of the whole Dexter series ends. Um, he he is one hundred percent a serial killer. He is. There's there's no two ways about it. However, um, I would say ninety nine percent of dexter's victims had it coming like they they were not good people they mm -hmm. did awful things to other people um but there's also you know as we get into the later seasons not really related to the pilot but as we get into the later seasons he does kind of knock off some people that may have been good people just because yeah, yeah. those people are getting too close to his actual personality oh yeah that, that well um, yeah but like so, the, the first the pilot episode does a good job of setting that up because it sort of starts to plant the seeds like there there's even a sequence where dexter is like you know uh i, I know that i am not a great person but for someone who is part of the miami metro police department it amazes me how nobody else in this in this precinct has noticed that I am a bad person except for one person and that one yeah. person is Dokes Lieutenant Dokes. Yeah. 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 And well as you've seen season 3 onwards you'll know that Dokes is not in the show. <laughs> <laughs> um Dokes is an amazing character. Oh my uh, god, I love Dokes so much. Dokes is so quotable. He is definitely not child friendly. There's nothing about Dexter that is uh, kid friendly, so it is definitely an adult series. But uh, Dokes is one of my favorite characters, and just kind of like his vulgar, in your face nature. Oh man, I, I love it. I love Dokes, and I was really bummed out to see him leave the series. But uh, yeah, Dokes is, Dokes is great. And he's a great part of this pilot, too. Oh yeah, amazing! Um, I love Dokes. It, it is a shame that he will not see past the final episode of season one. Um, but no, his 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 
part of the first of the pilot is brilliant and like you say yeah. like michael c hall's character dexter addresses the fact that he's sitting in a police station works at a police station and nobody can see him for what he is except but but but, but Dokes Dokes knows is the only all... person that gets creepy vibes off of him. Yeah. Yeah. So Dokes clearly is a brilliant detective. Yeah. However, however, maybe not that brilliant because a case that he's working on, Dexter actually gives him an, uh, a another possible murderer, mm-hmm. um, which actually the captain tells De- uh, tells uh, Dokes to go and investigate that angle. So he's very furious. But I wanted to just talk about obviously Doctor, the episodic part of it. So he he says earlier on in the show that he sort of fakes emotions and mm-hmm. doesn't really understand them. And that he has to fake all of his human interactions. And I actually thought he does a really good job of it. So yeah. he, he goes into the police station and part of his routine is to bring donuts into the station and offers them to people as he's going. It's his, it's part of him trying to be endearing to his mm-hmm. colleagues, which is, which is good. And people do do that, but he does it because he knows that he's trying to build relationships but doesn't really understand them but he knows that like a donut is going to help build a bridge like um and when he walked into the sort of i guess the file room i was like oh my god you know it's margot mindale from um sneaky pete and i was like oh she's in loads of stuff but this is a tiny role for her so um so she's on the reception desk of this sort of file room and he gives her a donut and then he's like sitting back having a bit of a chat with her and then he's like oh have you got anything for me to look at like you know like and then you just see dexter it's not continuous but throughout the episode doing doing bits for for that that episode's victim which i guess if you were to not have this as a serial killer show say if it was csi they would have this as the crime of the week but instead it's the murderer (laughs) murder of the week see he basically has a kill every episode pretty much and um like i say that formula doesn't stay throughout but it's kind of setting it up that this is going to be how the show is. So he starts to tail this person, breaks into their house to find evidence that they are a murderer. And and then eventually he, he sort of brings them to a place and kills them. And, and part of his ritual is that he, well, he cuts the bodies up into tiny bits and, and he drops them in the sea because he has mm-hmm. a boat. Um, and there's a lot of crocodiles in Miami. So I can imagine most of these bodies are gone fairly quickly um, <laughs> however he does do something which i think is fairly silly he takes a sample of their blood puts it into a glass slider and then hides these glass sliders above his air conditioning unit in Cereal his apartment killers always keep trinkets so instead of him keeping like a snippet of someone's hair or a piece of someone's clothing he keeps a blood sample from all of the people that he's killed and but he keeps it in his room above an aircon unit which yeah. is just uh, you just know that's bound to cause problems later. Um, even when I remember, even when I first watched it, I was like, "Why your apartment? Like, why not?" Where else speak would you clever? keep them? Well, but also you do see things like serial killers that keep storage units as well. So, like, could you yeah. not keep a storage unit? Like, I don't know. Like, maybe that's just too obvious. But I don't. I don't know. I just feel like setting up from fail. I mean, I feel so, like if you're gonna hide it breaking apart your air conditioner your window unit air conditioner is probably one of the better places that you could keep it in your apartment honestly yeah 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 i don't know i i'm not sure if keep it yeah i don't know like it's wherever you're gonna put it someone someone could tail you and find your storage unit Mm -hmm. but i I guess 
probably the best thing to do is to not keep anything but i guess i know yeah. like you say serial killers can't. struggle you with can't. that it's struggle. not your nature it's your right. nature as a serial killer to keep something so i just thought it'd be good to talk about rita um and 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 the connection with dexter so rita's played by janet julie benz who you'll remember from the very first episode of buffy um and then later on in angel as uh oh man Con- she's an unforgettable <sighs> character in angel as she plays darla oh yeah well darla she's brilliant in angel yeah uh, she's fantastic i thought it was pretty cool that they brought her back like from from like i'm talking about buffy and angel now but it's pretty, but anyway she judy Benz, i love judy so dexter he makes a like in connection with his comment about the whole emotionless thing he mm-hmm. talks about how he doesn't understand sex and yeah. so that's why rita's like the perfect partner for him so this because is she part- is an abused woman that yeah. has two kids from an abusive relationship and she is terrified of sex at this point in her life after having been abused for so long so dexter doesn't have to fake that part with her basically like they just hang out like they don't even make out. And when they try to make out, that does not go well for either one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically, Dexter just like hangs out with her kids and hangs out with her. Like they, But they don't do anything. But it's perfect because he gets to keep up the appearance. Like, I'm a completely normal 30-something-year-old male. And, I, you know, this is my girlfriend as proof. And I have a stable job. And I'm totally normal. Yeah. So she's, a, she's basically he's trying to do all these things to cover who mm-hmm. he really is because mm-hmm. you know like they, they when they when they do profiles of these serial killers you always find that they lived alone and you know mm-hmm. like you know all these kind and of, they all yeah. had like mommy issues or something yeah, yeah. you know well, which you know like <laughs> there's many issues that you discover that dexter has because some of them like, like like we say he doesn't remember his true origin yet mm-hmm. um but he will towards the end of this this season um so he she's the perfect cover she's very vulnerable very shy and from what i remember of later on in the show is that she does massively grow and become mm-hmm. far more confident and she becomes a really big and important part of the series and mm-hmm. by i love seeing her here though because she's it, really it, sweet like you like her immediately when you meet her yeah definitely and uh, i loved um so although again dexter does say about the faking emotions i did love his interactions with her children mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I He's thought really he was with the kids. Yeah, I thought to be honest, a part of me did think people can't fake it that well. He was really good with them. So that made me think actually does does Dexter just underestimate his emotions because he's really good with them. Like and you know making jokes about when they come back playing cards together and stuff like that. So I was like people can't fake that interaction. So I did start thinking maybe you're just doubting who you are. Mm-hmm. So um but yeah, so just the sort of the final moments with Rita was Dexter, you know, we'll talk about the serial killer part in a minute, but Dexter gets excited by the by a murder scene and mm-hmm. actually does get a little bit sexual towards her. And then he yeah. starts questioning himself, like, where did that happen? Uh, and then you don't see Rita again until a little bit later and he, she calls him up to initially apologize and say, like, you know, I'm sorry, can you come see me? But then something happens with Dexter, which we'll talk about in a minute, and then he doesn't come around to the next day and she's all panicky. And, and and you can see it's a good foundations of a relationship from for both their points of view. You know, they're both, you know, actually Dexter does make a comment. They're, they're both, both damaged. a little bit dysfunctional, yeah. for sure. Yeah. And they, in some ways it's a good 
good relationship for them to both be in actually they're probably although he can never tell her about his damage it she's actually quite a good partner for him mm-hmm. uh although his his motivations is she's good cover actually it's probably good for him to for them to work together and build on the damage together so mm-hmm. um yeah and i'll just quickly talk about deborah like so his steps uh, sorry adopted sister um uh yeah so jennifer carpenter this is the first thing i ever saw her in to be honest um but i thought she was amazing and it was pretty good like again you could see the growth towards you know having watched all eight seasons she's so nervous and so nice and so reliant on dexter and and like dexter says you know he doesn't feel love but if he was to feel love it would be for her Mm -hmm. um and you can really see she really wants to to do more um i don't know i, I really but sort it of starts out she's in vice so she does a lot of undercover work and at the moment when we first meet her she's undercover as a hooker mm. um so but she really wants to be in the homicide division and she really wants to be a detective like her father and so she puts through a theory which she kind of nabbed from Dexter, but she put forward a theory which was immediately dismissed. However, that theory did turn out to be true. Um, so our serial killer of the of season one, so every season is slightly formula, formula driven. Each season is given a serial killer um, or I think in season five, it's kind of a group of serial killers or something like that. Or I can't remember, it was a group of people that was bad. I've forgotten exactly but um however this one does have one serial killer who becomes known as the ice trunk killer mm-hmm. um and so we get we're presented with two scenes in the pilot um of very evenly chopped up body parts which mm-hmm. look fairly horrible to be honest even though i know they're not real body parts they honestly look like wrapped meat from a yeah. butcher it's fairly horrible yeah it's disturbing and so dex is really thrown off because of the lack of blood which i thought was quite a good parallel to his job of being a blood analyst yeah yeah so it's clearly well positioned that he's a blood splatter expert and the bodies have no blood which immediately jumped out on me going, right, okay, so we've got this serial killer, this serial killer that's deliberately making sure there's no blood at the scene. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I can't, you know, I'd love to know why. Like, I can't remember the ins and outs of season one, but it does make me start thinking, like, I, I do remember who the serial killer was, but, like, I do, I was, like, thinking, why, why, but why take away the blood? It's obviously a mind game. That's all I can think is it's a mind game. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, he Dexter starts to question and, and work out about the ice truck killer, and he actually is the one who gives Deborah the um, the sort of the clue. And then after Dexter's um, kill of the week, he's driving along the road and sees this ice truck, uh, and I did start thinking this this is not a coincidence, like yeah. this is not a coincidence. And the, they he follows the ice truck, and then the ice truck. T- turns around and throws a head of one of his bodies at the window. Yep. Now, I because I couldn't remember the complete ins and outs of the pilot. I was like, "What's he going to do with the head? Is he going to keep it? Like, or you know, d- dispose of it himself?" But actually, he did call the police, um, which I was I was actually quite pleased about. To be honest, that he wasn't just doing 
what I consider sometimes stupid motivations of characters in shows, like where they yeah. try and keep a secret that you know is just going to come out anyway. But um, he so. already showed that his secret was he keeps a droplet of blood from all of his victims, so why would he keep a head? No, no, no. I didn't think he was going to keep a head necessarily. I was thinking, like, would he just, I don't know, throw that in the river and or something like that. But I was thinking, like, he might think, okay, this, the, the, the guy knows who I am, so maybe I shouldn't tell the police. I don't, I don't know, but I thought... You know, you see this a lot in like shows where, you know, sometimes you see you see these a lot in shows where, where where I don't know, you see a couple and then one of the couples out somewhere and then somebody kisses the couple like like the boyfriend, you know, somebody random kisses the boyfriend, but then he doesn't want to tell his girlfriend because mm-hmm. he's like oh, and then it only ends up coming out anyway. So I started to think oh god, I hope he doesn't like not tell the police about the head because yeah. You can imagine that kind of thing coming out anyway, but actually, literally, it cuts to the, all the police and everyone there, and blah blah blah, and and then they start. They do question a little bit about, oh, it's weird that like Deb's theory about the ice truck killer then turned out to be true. How random right. is that? Right. I mean, to be fair, that 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 wasn't any of that wasn't Dex's fault. Like that just ended up happening. But um, I mean, from an outsider's point of view, that's definitely suspicious. Like yeah. you were the one that came up with this idea of an ice truck killer and magically an ice truck follows you and then throws a head at you, but you don't get any description of the person in the truck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I, I, thought, I thought it was really, I thought, I was kind of a bit disappointed that he didn't drive after him, but then I guess we wouldn't get a 12 episode season if he didn't, you know. Like, <laughs> uh, so, um, but then I like the fact that he goes back to his apartment and opens the fridge and there's a cut up doll with yep. red string around each body part and he's mm. like okay he wants to play yeah let's play yeah let's play like uh, i thought this is a really well done um show like i haven't this watched it for so long so great i mean again like you said at the beginning i came into the series at uh, season three my mom was obsessed with it uh, and she was the one she was the one that always called me and be like oh my god so this is what happened on dexter and finally i got sick of her telling me what was happening and so i just started watching it but i never went back and watched from the beginning so it was my first time seeing the pilot but like seeing the pilot after having known how seasons three through eight play out this is a fantastic pilot i mean a fantastic pilot episode would this make you re-watch um like, would it make you carry on? Like, having watched it. Uh, let me tell you how I had to stop myself from continuing to watch. I got all the way back up to episode six of season one, and I was like, "No, no, I need to stop now because if I oh, watch the entire first on. season, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like if I watch the entire first season, I'm not going to be able to evaluate the pilot itself because I'm going to have too much information." So, uh, yeah, like I watched that first episode, and I was like, "I am 100 percent." going to the next one and i did it was six episodes before i finally was like okay you need to like stop (laughs) (laughs) it's it's such a good show it's really um... good it's fantastic the writing is great the characters are great the way that they slowly introduce things in this episode uh, it's great the way that they kind of use lighting to a specific effect is really great there aren't too many shows that portray the city of miami in a in a like interesting light in my perspective like the only other series that comes to mind for me personally is the, a series that was on stars called Magic City. Uh, oh, I would say that, yeah. Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Oh my God. Magic City was fantastic. Jeffrey Dean Morgan, um, uh, Danny Houston. It is such a great series. Um, but like, it's how oh, Dexter's so good. It's, it's just, 
it's one of those things where I'm like, I cannot believe that this pilot episode is as perfect as it is. Yeah, no, I, I was, I do, I do agree with you about the Miami thing. Like, I don't think, other than CSI Miami, well, I CSI don't Miami is so cheesy. Well, yeah, I mean, all the CSIs, are, uh, I, 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 to be honest, I, the CSIs were okay. Like, Vegas was my favorite. That was really the only one that I loved. I liked, you know what? I actually really enjoyed New York. Like, New York I, was pretty good too. I do love yeah. Gary Sinise. Yeah, I think that was why Gary Sinise was so good. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so when I was watching the pilot of Dexter, I did love how they made Miami look in this show. Mm-hmm. And and I, I was sort of reflecting, thinking, have I watched anything other than CSI Miami in Miami? I don't think I have. Like, yeah, like there um, were, it was really small things about this episode that, this pilot episode that made me fall in love with the show all over again. Like, there, there are scenes where Dex comes out to a crime scene, but like by the time he gets to the crime scene, he's already a sweaty, gross mess. And it's like, okay, I've never been to Miami, but I do live in, in Texas or Houston, Texas, and it is incredibly humid where sometimes in the summer I am sweating just walking from my front door to my car. Like, yeah. I haven't done anything except walk to my car, and I am already a sweaty, gross mess. So I felt like the minor details that they put into it, like sweat stains on the t-shirts or on the uh, work clothing, like those small details make a big difference. There's so much detailing that they put into the pilot episode of Dexter and into the entire series that is just like, I cannot believe that it has taken me this long to start from the beginning. And um, when he goes into the house of his episodic um, episodic, uh, murder, the music really jumped out at me mm-hmm. like, and the eerie, creepy music. And it was like, okay, this is like Dexter music. It was like Dexter sort of theme music, but it, it was used really well. Like, yeah. and I, I, it, was, it was the only part of the show where the music actually jumped out at me. And so they don't play like pop music or anything like that, unless it's, I guess, probably in the background of a shop somewhere or something. Um, so it was sort of, I guess, a bit like classical type, but it was done so creepily. I was like, whoa. Um, the music's just so it was so good mm-hmm. at that point it was used so well um but no yeah this is just a really sort of perfect pilot you know there's there's yeah. so much done really well um they i felt they introduced a lot of the main characters but also let the sec- a lot of the secondary characters really well not to the point where they were like background characters um but yeah it gave them enough that they were intriguing yeah um, but they give you so much of even like background characters personalities that you don't have to wonder what type of person that character is going to be like when they introduce angel or when they introduce uh, oh but uh, batista like yeah, yeah, yeah. like I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like you you introduce this character, and I know that they only had thirty five seconds of screen time, but like that's a fully formed thirty five seconds of screen time. Um, so yeah, like nothing is taken for granted in the pilot episode of Dexter. It is it's so well planned, it's so well thought out, uh, and it's so well executed. I think yeah. It was, uh... I think everything was just really good. Like yeah, when you talk about Batista, um, they they also introduced um, uh, what's his name Vince as well, who becomes much bigger as the show goes on. Mm-hmm. But he's a really creepy guy, <laughs> like uh, who's not a serial killer, yeah. but is really odd. Like, and I guess if they were going to look for people that were serial killers, he probably would get picked up more than Dexter. Yeah. Um, and later on in the show, he's just. 
is just so weird. <laughs> like, Vince but, but, is Vince Matsuoka. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Okay. So yeah, 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 and um, but do you know what? I completely forgot about um the captain, Captain uh, Maria Laguata, oh, um yeah. about she, how flirty she is with Dexter. I completely yeah, yeah, forgot yeah. about that. So that will die. That does die down as the show goes on. But I, from what I remember, it dies down. But I couldn't believe how flirty she was with him. So, yeah, just like so brazen about it. Yeah, and um, and the sister was like, "Oh, you're definitely sleeping together." But yeah. uh, like, yeah, no, it's just, just a really, you know, a really good pilot. And I was like thinking to myself as I was watching it, when I rewatched this show, and I was like, I oh, would, you know, like I, um, I would, I, and I have, so yeah. I've, I've already started. Yeah. <laughs> it's made me realize. So I, I've been saying this for ages. Um, I think it was up until season six. This show was a perfect show, like, and that's where it should have, in my opinion. Yes, I uh, wish season eight had never happened. <laughs> if, yes. if we're being honest about Dexter, season eight was a slap in the face to every fan of Dexter. I mean, the the ending was so horrendous that I literally, I, I watched the ending. Like, it, it was one of those things where it was like, we we had a party we had like a watch party there were about four of us there that all had been big fans of dexter and like by the end we were just like this is bullshit i mean like i can't believe you have taken this character that and again you could see it coming with season eight because just season eight in general was just kind of blah but like that finale that's one of the worst finales i've ever watched in my entire life i i I'm really hoping when they bring back the show that it, that they can redeem the awfulness Fingers of crossed. season eight. I'm not going to hold my breath on that, but I'm hoping that whatever they give us in season nine is better than what they gave us in season eight. Now, my thing I think is there was tension between the network and the producers because it's my understanding that the producers didn't know that they were going to get canceled like Showtime canceled the series without telling the producers first. So it's kind of one of those things where it was like, what do you mean you've canceled our show and you didn't tell us that you were going to cancel the show? So I think it was kind of just everything ended on bad terms. And unfortunately, those bad terms showed through in the season eight finale. Season, season eight was a really quite, I mean, from what I remember, really choppy and sort of like lots of new characters and lots of development happened and then they kind of things were dropped and stuff like that and it, uh, yeah, I mean... it was just like the the way that season eight ended it just didn't end in a way that was true to the characters that we had come to know over the past eight years i honestly felt that the season eight was going to go in a, or should have gone in a different way like like i really truly felt like the people in the station should have found out he was a serial killer. That's what yeah. I thought. Because, you know, the fact that we've had, we, you know, two people from his cast have to get killed off one way or the other because they find out he's a serial killer. So I thought it's inevitable that in the end, he won't be able to keep that secret. But it's just not how it ends. But no, I would say, for me, season up till season five, the show was perfect. Like, I mean, there's, there's good, there was good moments beyond that. But I... I um, John Lithgow as the Trinity Killer in season oh, four. Was so wow, good. wow. Um, and then I love what I actually really loved was 
um, season five with Julia Stiles, where she gets introduced and becomes like a partner to him, like becomes like a partner serial killer. Um, and they kind of have a really like perfect relationship. I, I think that was really good. But then just beyond season six, it just, it started to go in places it shouldn't have needed to go. It didn't, I don't mean like, not every episode was terrible um, by all means. And even season eight had good moments, but um but for, for this but to come back to the pilot which we started on it was a perfect pilot and it's a great I would, pilot. i'd fully recommend it if someone was never watched dexter go back watch this pilot and i would definitely say watch up to the end of season five and you will have five perfect seasons of show right so we gave this show a very rare uh five out of five rare it's the first five out of five we've ever given on the podcast Yep, yep, that's right. So we, we couldn't believe really, we both agreed on that. Yeah. So So Dexter, uh, the pilot, five out of five. Yeah, so look forward to more pilots coming as we like I say, we will look at those on the final of each week. Um coming to our recommendations of the week, we have one division episode four from myself well I'm gonna say like one division altogether. We reviewed the first two episodes a couple of weeks ago and I was a bit on the same page, even with episode three. So episode three does end with something kind of unusual. So they've picked a style for season uh, for episodes one, two, and three, which is a essentially 50s, 60s, even 70s style sort of rom-com drama thing that they used to have, you know, like Bewitched and that kind of style, Brady Bunch, that, that, that kind of thing, all done cheesily as was back in the time. Um, and then season three, sorry, episode three ends with one of the characters escaping from this world, but That's you don't, see, but you don't see too much. You just see some helicopters and some cars because it's at night, so you're very clueless. But the entire of episode four, well, ninety-five percent of episode four is not in this one division world. Mm-hmm. It follows, it follows three characters and two of those characters um are from marvel movies one of them is from ant-man and one of them is from thor and it's so good like i yeah i was like okay we're not gonna tell you who you gotta watch no i was like okay so first three episodes i was interested but episode four i was like yeah i'm down i'm like this is what i want now like just carry on um yeah, I'm 100% now on board. So I really want to see what happens now. So, and I would say the only other teaser I'll give is I I think this might be the MCU's version of House of M. That's where I think they're going with this. Dun, dun, so, dun. <laughs> have you watched it yet or not? Nope, not yet. Oh, yeah. Watch it. Honestly, it's so good. <laughs> it's like, it is like Marvel. It is like proper, like, I, I know people. We're going on about Agents of Shield. I saw that was trending on Twitter earlier. Um, however, I don't know whether or not Agents of Shield will ever be truly recognised by the Marvel movies. But this was the first time I ever felt like it could be something like Agents of Shield. Mm-hmm. You know, so in the yeah, so it's good. Anyway, I'll stop talking. So. <laughs> Um, my recommendation for this week is actually a company. It is a new entertainment slash, uh, they call themselves a culture company. It's called Urbanime as like, uh, an amalgamation of urban and anime. 
Um, and basically it is run by a conglomerate of sort of like black and brown creatives. And their focus is to put black and brown stories at the forefront. Um, they had a mixtape kind of release party last week, which uh, was a lot of fun. They, they talked to um, MCs, they talked to some musicians, they talked to some people that are part of nerddom. Uh, the biggest name that they had was Sway from, uh, he's sort of like a, a VJ. Um, they've got a, their first comic is called Relic going to be coming out in the month of february but right now you can kind of download like a preview issue of the things that they have going on um anyway i thought they were really cool the art looks amazing some of the artists have worked on stuff from marvel and dc um some of the writers also come from marvel and dc so uh it's it looks really interesting and i'm kind of excited to get my hands on some stuff when they release actual copies of comics in february so urbanime that's my recommendation for this week I didn't. I, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, I'm gonna have a look at that. I've actually just quickly opened it up on another tab. I'll look at that later. So um, next week we will be reviewing Spectre Inspectors issue one from Boom Studios, and we will be starting our series um, where I, every week we're going to look at something, and we've kind of got a similar theme for March, which we'll tell you about um, towards the end of Feb. But during February, we will review all three seasons of Castlevania, and Ooh. next week we'll be talking about season one of Castlevania. It's a great show. <laughs> and as a reminder, don't forget we did start a second podcast series where we tackle some of the most essential graphic novels of all time. Our fourth Late to the Party Book Club episode was Monstrous Awakening Volume 1. Uh, by Marjorie Liu and Santa Takeda. That episode dropped at the beginning of January, so please check it out. And our next graphic novel is going to be March, Volume 1, by Andrew Iden and the late John Lewis. So be sure to tune in for that one. You can also follow us at Geeks and Leech. We're on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Google, Apple, Spotify, tune in. We are everywhere. So please give us a five-star review and tell your geeky friends. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good week. Bye.